Hello, welcome back to another episode of The Beggar's Cup, your favorite podcast where in this case one dude talks about fantasy, sci-fi, movies, pop culture, whatever else. I'm your host, author Nick Langan, flying solo again for this week's episode. And uh, this is something that I've been mulling over discussing for a while. It's something that is important to me. I don't know how many people are going to be super into it, but I think a lot of people will agree with what I'm saying, uh, particularly in the context of the broader cultural implications and picture, social picture. So, but before we get to that, we of course have to give a shout out to our sponsor, Plus 5 Charisma. Picture a scenario like this. It's Friday night. It's game night. You're supposed to get together with the guys, the girls, whoever, play uh, some D&D, some board games, but you find yourself with a momentary panic on the way to your friend's house who's running the whole shebang. After all, how will they know what your favorite class or ability is? How will they know without you having to incessantly tell them? If only you had purchased a t-shirt or hooded sweatshirt from Plus 5 Charisma, it would be on display for the whole world to see. Plus, the number 5 Charisma. Check out their Etsy shop, their Facebook page, and Charisma Gaming on YouTube, a small little YouTube channel devoted to Elden Ring, because Tyler and I, and Galen to some extent, but more Tyler and I have been obsessively playing Elden Ring. Plus 5 Charisma, go ahead and uh, give them a follow, maybe pick up a t-shirt or a hoodie, it's comfortable clothing, simple, straightforward designs, which I prefer, and support a good guy, and support us. So... There's been a lot of uh, buzz over the past couple years, particularly when it comes to movies, but also, I think, all culture, comic books have been hit pretty hard with this sort of inundation with social messaging. And you've seen a lot of that. There was a whole lot of controversy surrounding Captain Marvel for anybody that pays any attention to this stuff, because Brie Larson was very outspoken about using her platform to empower women and uh, something, other things. And then the movie itself, I didn't think was terrible, but particularly the, the third act had some really serious problems with everything. <laughs> um and you also had uh, some similar problems, I think, with, with Wonder Woman 1984. The sort of the, the necessity to elevate a strong female character over... And, and, and by elevating the strong female character and by portraying a strong female character in, the, in both those cases, you can't show that character to struggle because somehow that is... Less empowering. Uh, Ray from the new Star Wars movie is another good example. You can't actually have her have issues because if you do, then somehow that isn't as strong or empowering. Even though the hero's journey and all that stuff is, is struggle is why we generally like characters so 
that's maybe an issue for another time. But I thought that sort of spells out a, a larger cultural problem that has been going on for a long time. It's nothing new per se, but it's just so flagrant everywhere that I wanted to address it. And that is the elevation of message over story. And I'm going to use to prove that I'm fair and impartial. <laughs> Not really, but I'm going to use for ease and because it's, well, for ease, as I said, it's easy to pick on them. I'm going to use Christian movies, faith-based films, as an example. But I think that the thing is, these issues are the same, whether you're talking faith-based films or films with radical political ideologies that they're forcing down your throat. And so I think that uh, it all fits together nicely. So theme or message over story. We've talked about, uh, on other episodes, we've talked about character and what makes a compelling character, at least how I start creating a character and how I think in some way. I mean, this is me speaking in plain terms. I'm not uh, always the most eloquent guy and not always the most academic guy, but I'm sure that a lot of these core principles you could see famous and much more talented people than I doing them when they create their characters. But when I'm talking about theme over story, I think this becomes a really pervasive problem. So stories have themes, generally. They might be very simple, you know, themes or messages, and and, uh, take something like John Wick, which I think is one of the best action movies uh, over the past 20, 20 years maybe uh, definitely 10 when it started that movie is extremely simple spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen John Wick in John Wick Keanu Reeves plays a, a hitman whose wife has passed away from some unknown terminal illness we don't know because it doesn't matter and as her last dying act she has a puppy shipped to him with a love note and stuff and talking about learning to love again and and not giving up hope, basically. It's really sweet. And so you see him bonding with this puppy, and then he runs afoul of some, not even really Russian gangsters, but sort of Russian punks, sons of gangsters. And they don't know who he is, and they steal his car, they kill his dog, and this sets him on the path to getting back into the business and getting revenge. Not a complicated plot or you know the themes of that are are not super complex and yet it's a really riveting and compelling movie because it's done really well it doesn't overstay its welcome and the acting is good the action was groundbreaking at the time the sort of combination of judo jujitsu wrestling all these grappling arts mixed with the gunfighting made for some really visually appealing action including and and all the guys were stunt guys Keanu Reeves did most of his own stunts he trained really hard for it and so all these things come together to elevate what could be a very simple and boring story particularly if the action and whatnot was handled by a lesser talented group of people and becomes really awesome and the sequels are good too not in my opinion the first one is still the best but it's hard to it's hard to recapture that sort of feeling when you watch something for the first time. You're not really sure what to expect, and you're blown away. Um, 
So that's a good example of something that is done simply but really, really well. And the message, if any, I mean, what are they trying to tell us in in a movie like that? Take another sort of revenge movie that has a more clearly stated messages, I think. Uh, And I'm going to use the movie again just because I think more people probably have seen the movie than read the book. But the movie adaptation of The Count of Monte Cristo with Jim Caviezel and Guy Pearce. A young Henry Cavill as his son. I'm blanking on the actress's name. I feel really bad. But a bunch of other sort of side characters that you recognize from things. And that movie is also a revenge flick. The the, um, uh, sort of foppish dope in France is wrongfully imprisoned because his friend is jealous and wants to steal his lady. And what uh, he gets imprisoned in this horrible place for years and years and years, but he finds somebody there who teaches him how to sword fight, and he learns not just sword fight, but he educates himself. He learns to be shrewd. He gets in better shape. He learns about uh, rich, wealthy society, how to be an aristocrat. And then he escapes, and he enacts this plan to get revenge. And by the end of the movie, he realizes that he has a son, that the woman that he thought betrayed him still loves him and did not, and that revenge, he's going to destroy his life if he continues to pursue this relentless revenge. But that, that, that message, nobody in that movie gets up and gives a sermon <laughs> to pick on Christian movies, as I said, to tell you, the audience, that that's the message that you should derive from that movie, that that's the theme, the sort of the desire for revenge, but also that maybe there are better things. And, of course, that's not a, a, a rare theme or message in any film. That's a common one. So let's take a, let's take a movie. I'm going to upset my mom. Let's take a movie like God's Not Dead. What is the theme of God's Not Dead? Well, uh, I'm not sure how succinctly you can put that, but I think people would probably people who like the movie would probably say that it's a movie about standing up for your faith in a secular school system and defending you know, being able to to give a good accounting of what you believe and uh, using that that logic and science and and all those things can and, in fact, do unquestionably support the existence of God. And so the framing of that movie is you've got your main character who is a freshman in college and ends up in a class with a a notoriously strict uh, philosophy, I think, philosophy teacher uh, who is played by Kevin Sorbo, and I love Kevin Sorbo. Uh, (laughs) Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. And Kevin Sorbo, as the teacher, says that all the students have to write God is dead because they're not going to waste time debating the existence of God. And the student refuses, and then Kevin Sorbo says he's got to 
get three chunks of time, I think, if I remember correctly, after classes to debate with the professor to prove the existence of God to his classmates, and the classmates will be the judge of whether who, who wins the debate. This premise is dumb, and here's why <laughs> it's dumb as a premise. When you go into somebody's classroom like that, well, let me let me backtrack. the 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 movie is set up as this dichotomy between a an atheist and a Christian, and that they're going to debate, and the Christian is going to prove that the atheist is is incorrect, that science and everything supports the existence of God, and yet he doesn't do that. First of all, Kevin Sorbo's not really his character is not really an atheist, and You'll notice if you watch that movie because they try and film. It's not the, that's the main story, but there's all these different characters in in the movie. Uh, there's a couple of pastors. David A. R. White plays one of them. They're supposed to be comic relief, but they're really not. There's a um, there's a, a a Muslim girl from a strict Muslim household who is uh, interested in Christianity and actually ends up getting into family conflict and thrown out of her house because her father uh, does not want her being a Christian. That She's actually the most interesting character in the movie. Like, her story would make a far more compelling and actually interesting examination of two different ideologies, but they she's relegated to side character. There's the main character's girlfriend, who's a horrible person. The main character himself is kind of, uh, I don't know if he's supposed to come off as this or if it's uh, an acting quality issue or not, but he's kind of a dork. But Kevin Sorbo is not an atheist. You find out later in the movie that Kevin Sorbo is basically angry at God because his mother died when he was a child and God never answered his prayers. And so he kind of, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't just not believe in God. He actually hates God. And there's another character that's like a horrible person. I think that's Dean Cain, uh, the actor who plays the other guy that's like a horrible businessman. Uh, the Duck Dynasty guys are in there. Hey, they're awesome. You know, whatever. But <clears throat> right off the bat, as this premise is set up, you start to, if you examine it, you start to think, well, they're not actually even doing what they're saying they're doing. They're framing everything in the in the light that all the characters that are not Christian are terrible people. Terrible. And all the people that are practicing Christians are really good people. And then you realize that, that you know, you're set up for this debate between sort of atheism and Christianity. But the debate is not really between atheism and Christianity. It's not really a an unbiased examination of these two perspectives that could make for a really interesting movie. Although I'm not sure the college classroom is the best framing of that, but <clears throat> it's actually, oh, see, this guy even believes us. He's just mad. And there's a whole bunch of other problems with the movie, but I think that, you know, the the message that they're trying to convey is so important and they have to force it that, that the story then suffers, right? And then the whole movie ends with the Newsboys concert. <clears throat> I think uh, other people that do this, the the Kendrick Brothers films, they're the probably the most famous 
Christian movies, there's some value in their movies, and they've certainly gotten better because this is another problem if we're talking specifically about Christian movies is they often are just very poor quality, very amateurish. And I've seen people, and a couple episodes ago, we talked about two movies that were super low budget. We talked about Freak, and I talked about uh, The Headhunter. The Freak was shot for like 50000 uh, The Headhunter, I think, was shot for less than 30000 and has some amazing camera angles and shots. So it's not a budget issue because some of these Christian movies do end up having a huge budget with, with uh, private donors and, and funding. It's just, it's, I don't, it's a combination, I think, of, of a lack of talent, but then also they don't care. They don't care about propagating good story. They don't, you know, and, and film especially is obviously visual storytelling. You need to have good visuals. It's all about the message. So the Kendrick Brothers films, some of, uh, all of which I have enjoyed in, um, in different ways. You've got Facing the Giants, you've got Flywheel. Facing the Giants is like a football movie. I think that's really where they got big. Uh, Flywheel is about a car salesman. That was their first like mainstream movie, I think. And Courageous is their sort of cop movie, cop and father movie. And uh, what else? War Room is about sort of the power of prayer. And, and they've been involved in some other stuff. But there's good stuff in all of their movies, but all of their movies elevate message over story so i mean courageous literally ends the the movie ends with like a five or ten minute scene of the main character in church basically giving a sermon and then giving an altar call for people to come up and accept jesus and they they are beating you over the head with the message of the movie and then these movies always do okay because you know Christians, I, I guess, go see them, but everybody else just kind of looks at it and it's like, yeah, that's not a that's not a really good film, um, and it's not viewed it's not viewed as competitive. I think really the first TV show for sure, one of the first mainstream things that's that's Christian and and faith based that has garnered more attention, not just from Christians, is uh, The Chosen, which I recommend. I watched the first season. And those guys are telling the story of Jesus in sort of, uh, it's it's not violent or sexy like HBO, but it's sort of HBO miniseries format. And, but, and so they're doing it, and they are really prioritizing who these characters are, the narrative what you know drives them interesting little things from research and extrapolation which as somebody who has written some stuff in the faith-based genre i really appreciate because that's what i try and do too i have a whole out had a whole outline for a king david thing and crowns of hebron as far as i know is still available on amazon you can check out the sort of comic book miniseries graphic novel that was created it's family friendly it's cartoonish there's some violence but and that sort of five-issue series that's collected in one book, I had written that as a pilot episode for a TV show. And I did a lot of research, lots of research, lots of reading, not just the Bible, but other historical sources, and made a lot of sort of, I don't know, reasoned decisions. You know, I made Goliath in that a main character because it followed that he would be an officer in the army, and it would be interesting. Like, 
if anybody that's into that sort of history, check it out because the history of potentially Goliath and the Philistines is really fascinating. Uh, and I, you know, you kind of have to guess a little bit with certain things, but I think the chosen does a really good job of telling the gospel story so far in that way. Um, the passion of the Christ was, it was a good, a good adaptation. I think there are some movies, but all of the movies that are good really prioritize story over message. I'm really harping on this. I know, but I'm going to, I'm going to come back around to, to sort of the main point. I'm not just going to beat up on Christian films, although I could do that for hours. So, this is a problem, I think, it, because what happens is people know this and they're resistant to it. And I, we can all agree because generally, if I watch something that's just utterly full of woke nonsense... I kind of groan and roll my eyes, and I'm probably not going to enjoy it, right? It's not to say that we can't explore certain themes, but if you're doing it in a way that's preachy, whether it's religion or societal ideology, which arguably is also a religion, I'm not going to be interested. And I think that this has become a real problem with a lot of mainstream art nowadays. So you've got the Christian side of things, the faith-based guys, and you know a lot of these mainstream Christian movies are just abysmal, in my opinion, from a storytelling perspective. They're not engaging. I'm not really sure who they're for because they're super simple. So if you're, you know, if you're a if you're a Christian of 50 years and you watch Courageous, I'm not sure what you're gonna get out of that. Uh, it's a very sort of basic, important maybe, but basic message that they're trying to preach about keeping your word and, you know, in that, in that particular movie, the importance of a father. But then also, if you're not a Christian and you watch that movie, I don't think you're going to get anything out of it because you're going to be like, this is cheesy. These cops aren't using any foul language, right? Like the, the, the language is all like kind of oddly stilted because it has to be clean because it's a mainstream Christian movie. And even the sort of darker drama things are kind of goofy. Um, and so I think we see a lot of that stuff with modern films coming out of Hollywood, obviously. Books, comic books, you know. Uh, a good example of, actually, a really good example of this is Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the TV series on Disney+. Plus. Oh my goodness, I could do a whole write-up on a lot of the problems. But I'll just get into the sort of, mainly the story ones. Um, so, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier takes place after the events of uh, Avengers Endgame. You've got Bucky Barnes and Sam... Uh, the Falcon, and the two of them are sort of dealing with, Sam is dealing with trying to get readjusted to normal life. Bucky is dealing with not being the Winter Soldier anymore. He's in therapy with uh, probably the worst therapist of all time. Maybe. Maybe I know a few that are worse, but pretty bad. And they end up having to deal with a plot with the Super Soldier Serum, and it's about, you know, Sam... Sam, at the beginning of the TV show, immediately gives up the shield to the government, even though Cap entrusted it to him because they needed the TV show to happen. And as the two of them go on this buddy 
cop sort of esque journey. You know the the themes of of uh, particularly in that one sort of race in America and. <clears throat> Uh, but that's the big one. Race and what was the other? Open borders in, in America become the, the big challenging themes that are just bludgeoned over your head over and over again until you comply or you do what I do and you sort of give up. And I finished the show out of a weird sense of obligation because it was only like six or seven episodes, but I really disliked it and have a whole litany of problems with it. But that was the biggest one. I mean, most of them stemmed out of that. And what's interesting is, if you go back and look at one of my favorite Marvel movies, Captain America Winter Soldier, the themes in that, I would say, are very challenging as far as critical of the country. You know, the theme of that movie, the, the, the overall plot of that movie is you've got Captain America, who's literally the embodiment of sort of the American ideals from the 40s. And he realizes that the government and this, specifically the agency that he's working for, but the government in general has been infiltrated by these people that are completely anti what he believes. And he has to deal with that as the sort of unflinching good guy, the Boy Scout character. You know, he does he refuses to change, but also he has to deal with the fact that the world has changed. And what does that mean for him? What does that mean for his place in the world? Can he even still represent these ideals that he fought so hard and, and and believed in? What does that mean as far as should he adapt? Should he change his style to be more potentially like somebody like Black Widow? You know, Nick Fury. Should he fight dirty? Right. And and obviously also there's themes of 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 rescuing his friend in that. And so you could argue, I think, that that takes a very critical look of certain American policies freedom versus safety which is always a big problem uh, a big issue in the in the public sphere i think and yet it does it in a way that is natural and compelling and asks the question i think and the Rus- maybe the russo brothers are just really good at this because i i'm also a big fan of captain america civil war which came after that and that it asks a similar question you know the, the whole premise of that is the idea of registering people with superpowers and and that the government should be in control of, of superheroes. And Iron Man, Tony Stark, is adamantly for it because his life is defined by the guilt of his mistakes. And if you see that in, in Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2, and does 3 come before? Yeah, it does. So in the Iron Man solo movies, he tries to do a lot of stuff on his own and... And things go badly. I mean, the Avengers movie and Avengers Age of Ultron are all because of him. And so he's very much on board that they need to be regulated. He's driven by guilt. And Captain America is driven by that idea of freedom. And he's sort of, over the course of his movies, gradually realized that maybe the government is not the best hands because the government is just people and people can make mistakes. And maybe the best hands to have your fate in is your own. And so, again, social themes uh, done very well, in my opinion, not beating you over the head. I don't know how the Russo brothers feel politically. I would imagine, being Hollywood guys, that they're probably left-leaning. 
But that doesn't bother me. That's fine. I may disagree, but they pose the question in a way that doesn't beat you over the head. Then you take a look at Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and it bludgeons you with with certain things. You know, everybody's racist. Um, The guy that they pick to fill Cap's shoes is awful, even though he's the sort of American dream. He's he's a military guy with military experience who's hand-selected for the job, and they just hate him right off the bat, really for no reason. Uh, most of the things that he does, I thought, yeah, this is totally justified, <laughs> even though they try to play it as, as bad. And then it all sort of, you know, the bad guys in that are for all these open borders and are literally blowing up occupied civilian areas, killing innocent people. And at the end of the movie, the Falcon gives his speech to the senders that's like, don't call them terrorists. You have to stop calling them terrorists. And they've, you know, they've they've blown up people. They've tried to kill him. They've tried to kill his friends. Like, but because that message has to be important, we have to change it. You know, he t- he famously tells them, do better. You have to do better. Oh, okay, thanks. Um, there's a whole, I, I, yeah, yeah. The more I talk about it, the more irritated I get with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But, so, I think that that's a good example. And I'm, you know, I'm going to pick on Marvel. Hey, whatever. Marvel, Disney punching up certainly not uh certainly not hurting for money but you you're seeing a lot of this backlash now to a lot of the stuff and people are tired of it i think part of it is people just want entertainment and entertainment is never necessarily going to be totally free from ideals when i when i write something it's not like it's moralless or ethicless even something as silly as lance and griffin two guys that are crass and hunting monsters, you know, that is, has a reflection. They have a code. There's clearly right and wrong in that. Uh, They don't pose too many questions in those. I have some other things that I'm working on that are definitely more ambiguous and, and pose questions. But I mean, if you look really hard, you can see traces, obviously, of me in the things that I'm writing. Sure. I, uh, there's another good example. There's a good fantasy series that I read a couple years ago when I got back into writing, trying to write full-time. Called, the first one's called The Rage of Dragons. And really interesting fantasy world, a sort of combination of medieval European culture and uh, traditional African culture. And the main character is a young boy that ends up training up to be this sort of great swordsman wielding two scimitars and homage i believe to another famous uh darker skinned dual scimitar wielding character and the whole series deals with a caste system and i would wager probably in some regard is making some social commentary on what the author feels about the current state of the world i might disagree with him on certain things of the current state of the world, but the books are really well done and it's presented in a way that's natural and organic to the world that I'm reading about the, that the story takes place in the story takes precedent precedence precedent, man, am I a writer or what? Uh, the story is King as they say, and the messages are natural. Or the themes are natural offshoots of that story in that world and I think that people are tired of some of this 
bludgeon you over the head, beat you to death with this message movie. You know, when I go to the movies, I want to be entertained. Now, sometimes that entertainment takes the form of whatever, uh, a decent horror movie, right? Where it's scary or a uh, tense thriller that's on the edge of your seat or a big popcorn flick, whatever. But I don't necessarily want to be preached at at the movies, whether it's from some sort of cheesy faith-based film or some sort of ideologically woke film that's pandering to who they believe is this huge demographic that I don't think actually is and the majority of normal people watch it and they're going to be kind of like, eh, it's okay or eh, I didn't really care for that. I think that story needs to... <laughs> I think that we need to return the story to storytelling and right now we're getting a lot of just telling. So those are my thoughts. Uh, once again, check out Plus 5 Charisma. If you haven't, check out our last few episodes. We talked about Spider-Man No Way Home, where I kind of addressed some of this stuff. The positive feedback that Spider-Man No Way Home got, I thought, in large part, was because it was absent of any of these smashing you in your face with themes that you don't need to hear about. Um, talked about Freak and Headhunter, like I said. Check those out. And uh, check out Plus 5 Charisma, as I said, at the beginning of the episode. Uh, give us a follow on Facebook, The Beggar's Cup. You can follow me, Nick Lang, an author. It's uh, Facebook backslash Crowns of Hebron. And, or <laughs> Facebook.com slash Crowns of Hebron. And check out my books. Like I said earlier, I've got Crowns of Hebron right now, still on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, a family-friendly comic about uh, Saul, David, and Jonathan. And then I've got the first Lance and Griffin book, Shadow of the Dreamer and Other Oddities, which is a novella and collection of short stories on Amazon by two guys that fight monsters. Uh, good old-fashioned pulp, inappropriate humor, fast-paced, that kind of thing. Uh, the second book for them is actually finished. I'm just sort of... I did some edits, and I'm kind of seeing what I'm going to do with it. And I look forward to talking to you all next week. Until then, have a good one, and we'll see you.